How are motivation, learner engagement, and learning related? What are some ways that we can increase motivation in our learners, whether planning for instruction in person or online, with younger students or adults? These are some of the issues we will address in this episode of Learner Engagement Activated, the podcast that helps you take teaching and learning to the next level with the latest in research and applications on learner engagement for students at all ages, levels, and environments. This podcast hosts leaders in the field to bring you advice for how to increase learner engagement to improve student outcomes. I'm your host, Ann Fency, and in this episode, I speak with Sang-Hoon Park at the University of South Florida to hear about his research into motivation and learner engagement. Ready, set, activate. Sang-Hoon Park is an associate professor and the Learning Design and Technology Program Coordinator at the University of South Florida, where he teaches courses in current trends of instructional technology, interactive media, and motivational design and learning technology. His research has focused on designing motivational interventions for online learners, investigating the effectiveness of multimedia technology in grades K through 16 STEAM education, and exploring the educational implications of emerging technologies for learning experience design. He is the new programs officer for the Learner Engagement Division of AECT, where I had the pleasure of meeting him. sang Park, thank you for joining us on our podcast. Hi, Ian. How are you? Um, it is great to be here today. And again, my name is Sam Park, and you made a wonderful introduction about myself. So uh, thank you. Oh, you're yeah, welcome. You're great. So um, I saw that a lot of your research focuses on motivation. Can you tell me about the relationship between motivation, engagement, and learning? Absolutely. So probably I can start with the how I got so much interested in the topic of motivation as my research agenda. Um, starting from my master's thesis that was back in 1999, um, I got so fascinated by the concept of motivation and the importance of motivation and how it can be utilized and designed to support, you know, students' learning, performance, and their engagement. So my master's thesis was actually about motivation. And then I decided to pursue my doctoral program here in the United States. That was 2001. And back then, I only applied to one university, uh, Florida State University, because there, um, Dr. John Keller, who is world famous motivation oh, research based great. upon his uh, asked motivational design model, yep. um, he was there. If he was in a different university, then I would probably have applied to a different university. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, he such a wonderful mentor and professor, and he kindly accepted me as his one of the uh, um, advices. So that's how I started my journey um, as a scholar, investigating and reading more about motivation and motivational design um, in the field of instructional design and technology. So based upon that, um, I've been thinking about what would be the relationship, because oftentimes we use motivation, engagement, without making that much you know, um, differences. To me, it, everything starts with the learning event. So if you imagine that you are into the classroom and you're working on the course you know, um, assignment or activities, there is a learning task, right? Regardless of the form of the learning task, there's always a learning task. Mm-hmm. So how do I see that? Is it valuable to me? Is it interesting to me? Can I achieve this? Do I have enough control, my competencies, my knowledge, and my skills 
to learn and you know, complete this learning task. So based upon the learning expectancy that I have and the value of the learning task, that pretty much determines whether I can do this or not. So I would say that that's like a, during the motivation process, that's kind of the initial stage of the motivation. So let's say, oh yeah, this is so valuable to me, I can do it. And I believe I can do this. I have this competency to do this. Then now I can be engaged, right? Because um, I want to I want to finish that test successfully. So um, after having that high level of value and high level of um, the competency, then I can do the um, the learning task really well. So, so do that, you? Oh, I'm sorry. Do you think nah, that motivation leads to engagement? I think the engagement is between. Um, kind of the pre-motivation stage and the post-motivation stage. So it's within the motivation, uh, the concept of motivation. Okay. So in here, I'm looking at the motivation, not as a phenomenon, but as a construct, then you can, we can design and we can, and then we, we have control over. So once students are engaged in the learning activities and they would feel different level of difficulties, right? If the task is too difficult, then they expect it originally. Then they probably feel like, oh, this is too much. Maybe I should quit it. So even if they are really engaged, if the engagement process doesn't help them to feel further engaged, then they probably have to do something about it. However, if they're successfully engaged, if they successfully complete their learning task, then um, they'll have a positive sequence of the learning, you know, the task, and they'll have a positive emotional experiences mm -hmm. and their behaviors will show that, oh, so they have spent a lot of time on this learning task, which will make the learners be happy about what they have done. So that will lead them to the next level of the learning. So with the initial motivation, I was be engaged in the learning task. And after that, the experience of the engagement will further help them to seek um, the, the next level of the learning task. So I think that's how it works. And I know that some of um, the scholars and the researchers, um, they say that the learning achievement should be guaranteed in order to be fully engaged and motivated. Um, however, I see that it's a reciprocal relationship. Mm -hmm. Engagement is activated by initial motivation and students are fully motivated, engaged, and they will show the, uh, um, the successful learning outcome they will lead them to the next level of motivation, which will also lead them to the next level of learning. So it works in the way, the circular way. And of course, we cannot just ignore other you know, factors such as our society and our family, our culture, everybody, everybody has a different value about the learning task. Mm -hmm. So if it's not recognized as an important uh, the task, then probably I would decide not to do it. So there comes the kind of social um, the influences and then um, the way that it, the task is rewarded extrinsically. So um, considering all those factors, um, the motivation, um, the engagement, um, the lead the motivation and the motivation further influence their learning achievement, learning um, experiences. So that all kind of feeds each other. That's how I see it. That's how I see it. Okay, so then what aspects of motivation do we need to consider in our field of instructional design and technology? Right, so um, in our field, as you know, and um, the instructional design technology, our goal is to improve our learning experiences and the performance, right? 
So if we look at the motivation or engagement as a phenomenon, then there will be something that we can observe. However, we have to see them as a way, uh, as those construct that we have, we can design so that we can make learners be more and higher motivated. Uh, from that aspect, I see that we have, we can do two different things. Uh, we could create learning environments uh, with the motivationally enhanced. So which means that we're talking about the, uh, um, the learning environment from the outside. So whenever we design the classroom learning, whenever we design online learning, we are creating learning environments where it's a self-regulated learning, self-directed learning, or self-paced learning, like a MOOC, where that's an informal learning. So there is always a learning environment. And then the, the first thing that I can think of <clears throat> as an instructional designer and technologist is that we have, we can you know, design the learning environment with the motivationally enhanced. That's the one thing. So how do we do that? Um, well, that is going to be something that uh, we can apply on the, the Keller's Ox model because Keller's Ox model was designed to systematically analyze learning environments and come up with the uh, motivational strategies that we can utilize um, in that uh, the learning environment so that we can improve learners' motivation and engagement. So designing outer you know, the learning environment, that's one way to do it. The other aspect of the uh, learning motivation engagement I see is that we start from the inside of learners. So not every learners are motivated when they come to the learning right, environment mm -hmm. for the classroom. Some of them are really highly motivated, but they are not necessarily to be supported with the motivation support because they are already highly motivated. There are another group of students who are not highly motivated, right? And those are the group of students that we have to think about what should we do and how we can help them. So for those group of students who are not highly motivated, there must be a reason for them, right? Mm -hmm. And they will, and the students also need to know that they have lower level of motivation without knowing without them knowing that they have lower level of motivation, they were not gonna try to make an effort to be more motivated. So understanding and awareing that, oh, I have, for some reason, my motivation level is low this time. There gotta be a way to solve it. What should I do, right? Then the instructional designers or instructional technologists, we can come in and we can help them. We can support them. Um, motivation regulation model has been studied and utilized a lot, um, has been published in many different you know, the articles too. So um, it specifies eight different types of motivation regulation strategies. So um, um, using the means of communication, we're sharing the examples. Uh, we can help students feel that their motivation is low. However, there is a way to fix your motivation problems and these are the strategies you can, you can um, apply and you can utilize. So um, in some, I see the two different aspects of motivational design. One, designing classroom learning environments. And the other one, supporting learners' um, internal motivational regulation efforts. Okay. So then would, um, would you say that becoming aware of your own level of motivation kind of leads you to wanting to become more motivated? Uh, yeah, without knowing that my motivation is low, 
the same behavior, same level of motivation will continue. However, if I'm aware that I want to really do well on this task, but so for some reason, I'm not doing, I'm not putting my full effort in doing it. I'm not motivated at all. What should I do? So asking the question to yourself, that's the beginning. That's the start mm-hmm. point. So what are the uh, possible strategies that I can use, right? Then, then if you, when, you, when you understand that there are several approaches and the strategies, then you can select one or some of them and then utilize them. For, for example, um, well, I know that the, uh, uh, the Renegas Interest Development Theory it comes with the, uh, um, the, the situation interest and the individual interest. I think that you have heard that, the, the interest development theory model mm-hmm. before. So if we follow that one, what would be the way to improve my own situational interest? So that's one of the strategies actually, according to the uh, motivation regulation model, okay. um, among those eight different types of motivation regulation strategies, increasing situation interest. That's one of the strategies. Then me, myself, as a learner, then I can think about, okay, so uh, I think I should increase my own situation interest. What should I do? What are some examples I can do it? Well, it's not going to be difficult for them to find it out. That's when the teacher or the instructional designer comes in and they can explain, oh, so there are these cases and there are the cases. And these are some of the ways that you can improve your situation interest. Um, And then the Exact strategies will be different depending upon the course that students is taking and uh, uh, the task um, that he or she needs to be uh, complete. Okay, so um, let's go back to environment. Um, So let's say I teach both in a traditional elementary classroom, Mm -hmm. but then I also teach adult learners in an online class. So how could I design, design motivationally enhanced learning environments for both of that in-person and online and for those different age groups? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think this question contains four different sub-questions. Um, traditional elementary classroom in online learning, traditional elementary classroom in the classroom learning, adult learning in online learning, and adult learning in classroom learning. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's a lot of questions. Let's throw it all at you. <laughs> Um, regardless of the type of the, uh, the class or the audience, we can apply, I'm going to bring this, you know, Kellis Ox model again, and I think he'll be happy that he, if he's listening to this podcast, yes. <laughs> I'm sharing this information. Um, so according to the Kellis Ox model. And could we just remind me that the arcs, so oh, A yeah. is attention. Exactly. R yeah. is relevance. Mm-hmm. C is competence and S is satisfaction. That Did is I get that right? Yes, okay. that is correct. And my apology, I'm, I apologize that. Right. So attention means the, uh, you know, you're getting strange attention. And of, in many cases, um, we, we know that the four components of the arcs, you know, the model, um, attention, relevance, confidence, satisfaction. But oftentimes we do not know that there are three subcomponents for each one of those main components. So oh, for example, okay. attention has... Um, the perceptual arousal, inquiry arousal, and variability. So there are more specific and more concrete subcomponents that we can refer to when we try to design our learning environment. Um, in the case that, um, that you just gave me in the question, so the first thing I think we should think about is the learners, right? So the kids in the elementary student, elementary school classroom and other learners. So the main difference between them is that 
uh, the kids are not clear about what they do. So there is no clear goals for them. They just mm -hmm. come to the classroom. Not, I mean, in general, there are some folks that they know what they want to do, yeah. <laughs> even if they live to school. <laughs> so I'm just making like a general statement in here. And then um, they do not see the relevance of the learning tasks to what they, what they want to do or what they need to do. So uh, even from my son, who is the 13 years old boy, he always asks me the question, whenever they, you know, I mean, he's taking this um, geometry now and he asks me, oh, why should I learn this one? <laughs> what's, what's <laughs> when am I ever going to use right? that? <laughs> exactly. How so many times have I heard that question? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so those are usually the cases and uh, low level of self-regulation. Again, you know, speaking in general. Um, so that's like, a, you know, the, the, the learner profile for kids in the elementary classroom. Um, on the other hand, adult learners, they have, usually they have clear goals. That's why they want to take the particular type of class. And they have the high, usually high level of self-regulation. Although it's not perfect, but okay. still they have a high level of self-regulation compared to the you know, kids in the elementary school. So... It sounds like we have two different groups change. However, um, the, uh, if we follow the uh, callus ox design model, we follow exactly the same steps. The first one will be the, uh, the audience analysis. We have to understand who the audience are. So I'm gonna make this, um, I have uh, the process in here. Right. Well, the audience is not first actually, the course information, what the course is about. So who is gonna teach the course and uh, what the course contains in terms of the, uh, the content and the activities. That's kind of the first thing. And then, then we need to analyze who the audience are. So um, we can think about our target audience. So in this case, we're thinking about the elementary school students as one group of students and the other will be the adult learners. Uh, so based upon their general characteristics and their experiences, we can think about um, the audience are highly motivated in terms of their attention, relevance, confidence, satisfaction. Um, so obviously the level of relevance from the kids in elementary school, that will be quite low yeah. at this time, which tells us that, well, then we have to think about some strategies to improve their relevance strategies, right? Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned earlier, we can think about the relevance and those the three subcomponents of the relevance and consider them to design the, the classroom activities. So um, once that's done, then we analyze the learning materials and based upon the course analysis, audience analysis, learning material analysis, we can set our goals for the motivation, you know, the, from that particular course. These are the sets of the objectives that we want to achieve uh, for our, you know, target audience. Um, then we come up with the strategies, we apply them, implement it, and see if we met those, you know, predetermined uh, objectives, motivation objectives. And then, you know, that's how we evaluate the motivation implementation. So depending upon the, um, our target audience and, you know, depending upon the nature or the context of our target course, the motivation strategies will be very different, right? Um, so what I'm trying to say is that even if we're thinking about two different groups, two different, you know, uh, classroom settings, we mm -hmm. can apply one, um, um, the, the motivational design approach and come up with 
you know, different sets of motivational strategies, different sets of motivational objectives, and an implementation plan. Okay. All right. Um, so this model really does kind of work for all scenarios and, and audiences. Yeah, that's why it's called the model. Yes. <laughs> so that's how I was interested in this. Yeah. What about um, internally, though? So we talked about the environment. How can we support students to initiate and ma- maintain their own motivational efforts rather than us being the motivational force for them? Right. So that will um, bring me introduce the uh, the motivation regulation model. So as we talked about just before, awareness of their low motivation, that's gonna be the first step. Without having that, I am not gonna pursue my motivation effort. I'm gonna spend my time to be motivated to do uh, learning tasks. So when we perceive that there is a low motivation for me, so it starts with myself as a learner. And then I have this um, eagerness. Oh, I want to do something better. I want to improve my own motivation. And the first step is, you know, um, what is causing that motivation problem? Usually there could be individual factors, lack of skill, lack of knowledge, Mm -hmm. or it could be environmental factors, right? Lack of time and other responsibilities. And then here, um, even the task itself is not, you know, um, clear. Um, so once we identify those motivational problems, and if I know that, oh, so those are causing those my motivation problems, and what should I do? What would be my action plan now? Then, then there is a need for them to understand that there are possible, you know, different motivation regulation strategies, right? So if they understand each one of them clearly, um, well, if you don't mind, I can, I can you know, just give you the list of those strategies. And this sure, is from yeah. the Schubinger um, 2009. Um, so the first strategy of motivation regulation is the enhancement of situation interest. So basically when, when, when we encounter something boring, something tedious, then how we can convert it to more fascinating, more interesting um, the learning task. Mm-hmm. The second strategy is enhancement of personal significance. So that's basically making a connection between the task given to me and my own personal interest. Um, the third one is mastery self-talk. Um, just keep talking to myself, highlighting the goal. So here's a clear goal that I want to achieve so that I can enlarge my competence and I can you know, um, try to solve the challenging tasks. Performance approach self-talk is the fourth um, motivation regulation strategy. Um, for example, let's getting the better exam score this time. Um, you know, my score was low last time for the quiz one, and maybe I mm-hmm. should do better for the quiz two so that I can get a good grade. That's a performance approach self-talk. On the other hand, performance avoidance self-talk. In this case, it's not about the, the grade level. It's about avoiding others making fun of me because uh, of my... Yep. Low, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Full performance. And the self-consecrating. Um, so you probably experienced that once you finish up the big project or you know the world challenging assignments, that you want to reward yourself. You want to mm-hmm. give you something. For me, it's always a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's a nice reward for myself. Um, yes. Even, you know, a pint of you know, syrup and some caramel make it sweet. Oh, and that is going yes. to really make me happy when I finish up, you know, my project and having that cup of coffee. So giving yourself something that can, you know, help you feel like you achieved something. So that's mm-hmm. um, self-consecrating strategy. Um, the seventh one is a proximal goal setting. <clears throat> Um, this is one of those strategies that I recommend to my students um, oftentimes. Um, in a graduate school, you usually have a big paper right, or a big project toward the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. Some of students, they do well. They start from the beginning or in the middle so that they can finish that task in a small mm-hmm. chunk yep. or chunk, you know, day by day. Some of students, they wait until the last minute. And I have experienced that too. So <laughs> I'm not blaming anyone. I'm blaming yep. myself. Um, then you got this huge hunk of assignment all of a sudden, and you have like two due in two days or three days, right? Um, so that's not a good strategy to you know regulate your motivation. You want to make the big chunk of um, the project or paper or any type of assignment, small pieces, mm-hmm. so that you can do the small pieces earlier um, in a regularly, so they can feel like a small achievement every time you finish the small chunk of mm-hmm. task. So the satisfaction. Exactly. And at the end, you can finish the entire project successfully. The last one is the environment control. That's um, another strategy that I recommend to my students. Um, I have, I told you that I have um, a 13 years old boy. Um, When he was young, uh, he always wants to come to my office and play with me, even if I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he yes. doesn't know that. He just know that, you know, I'm here. Yes. Um, so I said, well, his name is Daniel. Daniel, um, daddy got something to do. Why don't you, you know, uh, wait outside? Well, he doesn't want to listen to me, right? So then you set a kind of rule. I mean, you have a control. You control your environment by saying, or by setting the, uh, well, this is the office time and this is the office area. And yep. then you're, this is your play, <laughs> playroom yes. and you can play in there. After 30 minutes, I will meet up there and then, you know, we can play together. How about yep. that? Yeah. So setting some kind of, you know, rules for yourself and setting the, the boundaries of the working area, non-working area, that's an environmental control strategies. And that actually is one of those factors being affected um, you know, by the outside factors on your motivation. Even if you're highly motivated, there's always something else from the environmental factors, then you cannot concentrate, you cannot pay attention. So that usually cause some you know, the motivation problems, even if it's not your motivation problem. Yeah, and a lot of people, have discovered that in the last year and a half working from home and that is true. taking classes that is remotely true. that, wow, there's a lot to distract you in your home environment. <laughs> yeah, so true. I love that, that strategy of, okay, let's set this time limit and this place limit of, yes, I will sit with you, but first we're, you're going to do this for this amount of time first. Exactly. Exactly. And based on my experience, it doesn't work at the beginning. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> having the communication that really helps yeah. with the family members and even, you know, even with your children. So um, those are the eight different types of motivation regulation strategies. So by following um, the motivation regulation model, you can actually help learners to initiate your own motivational you know, regulation process so that they understand that there are possible motivation regulation strategies and eventually they can apply and hopefully um, they can be successful in their learning um, experience. 
And it sounds like they're all related to the ARC's motivation model, too. I'll say so. I'll say so. Yeah. Right. Um, the recent publication from Dr. John Keller, he, he also uh, mentioned about the volition, which emphasized the, uh, the learner side. So mm-hmm. learner's willingness to do um, the learning task. So that tells me that um, even if we create really highly motivational enhanced learning environments, it does not guarantee if myself as a learner do not want to go that way, right? So it has to be like a both effort from the environmental design, learning, you know, environment design and the learner support uh, for learners to initiate and put their efforts and time um, for their own motivation. Mm, Yep. So do you have any technology tools or strategies that would be helpful in sustaining motivation? Yeah, um, that, that's a great question. <laughs> Although we discussed this earlier. <laughs> so um, a couple of things. The, um, I received this small grant from university where I'm working at this time. Um, the one is about the uh, learning experience analysis. So in order to understand sense motivation, oftentimes as a researcher, we use the uh, end of the semester, like a questionnaire, how much were you motivated, right? Did you pay attention mm-hmm. to this particular type of learning activity? Was it rele- relevant to what you're trying to do? Did you feel you know, confident about your learning? Um, oftentimes the problem with that is that you have to wait until the end of the semester, which yeah. makes us really challenging and difficult to capture what is going on throughout the semester. Mm-hmm. So uh, by applying the learning experience analysis, um, I'm combining um, students' log information. We use Canvas. So although it's limited, still they have some level of the data that we can refer to, we can utilize. And also uh, I use the experience sampling method, which means that um, most of the online courses, um, it consists of learning modules. And the learning modules, weekly activities, and then particular specific learning activities, right? So after that, um, you need of analysis. And for my study, it's a, it's a, it's a weekly uh, module. Mm-hmm. So after completing weekly assignment, weekly module, then we, uh, we uh, my, my, uh, my team member, and we ask students how they think about the difficulty level of that, um, the task that they just completed. And was it challenging? How much you know, mental effort did you put into completing that learning task? Mm-hmm. And how did you feel about you know, the task? Did you, were you happy? Did you enjoy it? Was it challenging? Did you feel any type of anxiety? You know? And then, then we used the, uh, um, the, the learning analytics data from Canvas to refer to their behavior mm-hmm. um, you know, the data. Uh, the reason for that is because we want to see how students are cognitively engaged throughout the semester yep. by looking at weekly report and also how much they were emotionally engaged um, throughout the semester by looking at your weekly um, the, the report. And the same thing for the behavior engagement. So instead of waiting until the end of the semester um, and ask them about their motivation experiences, I thought that that will be, um, you know, really necessary step to understand students' motivation experiences in terms of the cognitive engagement, uh, emotional engagement, and behavior engagement, so that we have we can have a full spectrum of their motivational experiences and even the learning experiences. 
yeah. uh, and, throughout the semester. You know, by doing it weekly too, now you're kind of getting at that being aware, self-aware of mm-hmm. your of your motivation too that exactly. you're talking about. Yeah. Right. And the outcomes will be very benefit uh, for the instructor because now instructors can see about you know their teaching uh, practice, right? Even if it's online or it's a classroom, um, you know, teachers as a teacher, I always wonder how students are doing if they're having any kind of difficulties. And oftentimes students do not communicate with me, but mm-hmm. you know, if that's the case, then I do not know. So by looking at your learning experience analysis data, I can see the, how much they were engaged in terms of con- con- cognition, emotion, and behavior. Mm-hmm. And then combining all the data together, that can help me to evaluate the course itself. And that's the first year kind of benefit for the course instructors. And also it can help the instructional designers. And if I, as a teacher, work as an instructional designer at the same time, right? Then, then I can modify my future courses based upon uh, the data that I just gathered from the previous semester. Or if I work with the instructional designer, and oftentimes, you know, the university faculty members, you have partnered with the, uh, uh, in, 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 in the case of USF, we have innovative education, and they always have instructional designers available mm-hmm. uh, to improve our course design. So then I can speak with the instructional designers over there, and then they can help me to improve the course design based upon the data. Yeah. So it's, a, um, you know, the data-driven decision um, for the, uh, uh, the course design and course improvement. Yeah, so, so you're really using using the data that's already there in your LMS, and then you're also mm-hmm. asking students to reflect each week. And that's one of the, the, the greatest things that I have done in my teaching is I also do a weekly reflection yeah. for the students that right. I tell them it's just, you know, three or four minutes. It's very quick, but they're actually re- reflecting in the... Uh, areas of self-regulation in cognitive, wow. affective, uh, behavioral, and environment. And um, I haven't, though, connected it to course data, which, mm-hmm. you know, when you're you're telling me about what you're doing, I'm like, why haven't I connected those two before? <laughs> I think that's going to be like really in a great topic. And especially, you know, at this time, if we think about just course evaluation, many of the universities in higher education, we use end of the semester course evaluation mm-hmm. to make a judgment or to decide whether the course was effective or not. And even one or two items from the end of course evaluation questionnaire that is being used uh, for their teaching effectiveness in your, mm-hmm. you know, on your promotion or tenure or when you apply for a job. Um, I don't. I don't think that's gonna be enough because course yeah. evaluation at the end of, at the end of the semester, it covers. It does not cover the entire spectrum of the learning experience first, and the second, it is oftentimes biased by the end of the semester experience uh, from yep. the students. So, I mean, I'm not saying that we should avoid using it. I'm just saying that we can still use the end of semester course evaluation data. However, we need to think about some other ways to understand students' learning experience throughout the semester. And I, I think, and I think you're doing a great job. We should, we should write a paper together. Yes, <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. So, so that's, uh, <clears throat> now I have, I have three questions that we ask all of our guests. Yeah. Um, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah. When it, I also wanted to say that that was for the, the motivational design part. Mm-hmm. So motivation regulation part, um, that's the... Uh, 
the second part of the project I'm doing. Yep. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it is important for learners to understand their learning low motivation. And then they know that there are possible strategies that, that they can use and they can apply. Mm-hmm. So what would be the best way to connect that, right? What would be the best way for us to let learners know that we're in your situation, this type of strategies might you know, work well for you. Why don't you try? So uh, for that one, we need some kind of adaptive system to support uh-huh. yep. and to suggest the motivational regulation strategies. And a colleague of mine and you know myself, uh, we're working on building the chatbot. So the chapel will be implemented in online learning environments, because that's where the most, most of students are experiencing motivational issues. And then whenever I feel like, oh, I'm not motivated this week, what should I do? Are there any possible strategies? Then I can start communicating in a chat with their chapel, yeah. and the chapel can provide, oh, what is your motivation issue? Does it sound like your motivation issue? Yes, it does. Okay, good. So I can suggest some of the strategies. You want? Are you interested in hearing more about them? Yes, I'm interested. And then <laughs> that the chapel can provide some of the uh, strategies um, that meets the needs of the particular learning, um, particular learners' uh, motivation problems. Wow, that would be that that I would love to hear more about that when yeah. you well, get that underway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're meeting uh, this Friday, actually, to go through this, um, the, the script. Yeah. And then I'm hoping that we can finish up the pilot of the study on the spring of next year. And then well, maybe you can present it ACT. Yes, great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, what is a major barrier to learner engagement that you have experienced? Oh, yeah, that, that question was really, really I often to me because I've never thought about that, but having that question that I have to recall all of my past experiences since my um, in a graduate level, right? That was 1999. So um, the problems that I have had, some of the barriers, I think I do too much work. <laughs> Sometimes I say yes to you know many people. <laughs> then, yeah. then I, do, I do have a little time to do them. I'm guilty of but, that too. Right. So the problem is that I'm always highly motivated to do the job. I'm highly motivated at the beginning, right? And eventually, because you have so many so much work to do and so many different types of work to do, and you have you know certain deadlines to meet. So whenever you complete your work, it doesn't meet your satisfactory level. Mm, yep. I ironically, it gives you unsatisfied feeling, <laughs> right? Because yeah. you're highly motivated, but the work, the outcome of the work is not making you happy. So you're not, you're not satisfied. So that affects your, you know, the feeling of engagement. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying myself, but I'm highly motivated, but I can't, I can't, I can meet my own, you know, standards for my work. So then What's happening next is that um, that caused unintended procrastination. So even if I do want to well, because then, then I know that my work will not be successfully or completed to meet mm-hmm. my own standards, then I don't do it right away. <laughs> so yep. that has been the barrier, actually. So even if I'm doing, even if I'm trying um, sometimes too much work is so overwhelming to me. Mm, yeah. um, then I just decided that I'm going to do it 
you know, a little later because I want to do it well. That's really ironic again. However, that has been happening to me, um, especially when I'm assigned to do a lot of, you know, different works. So that has been one of the barriers. And um, I don't know what's the solution for that. Maybe you should say uh, no. Learn how to say no. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm working on. <laughs> right, right. True, true. And the, um, the time management yeah. is yeah. the key um, yeah, for the motivational, motivation-enhanced everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> management yeah. is the key. Yeah. So my next question is about the future. Mm -hmm. What should we start thinking about or exploring in our discussions and learner engagement that isn't fully being addressed yet? Right. Um, that's a great question. I do not know what has not been explored and what has to be explored. However, I know that when we think about motivation or engagement or related concepts, oftentimes we're talking about different things, although we are talking, we are using the same term. Mm -hmm. For me, I think that we, um, as a division, as a you know, um, learning engagement division, um, ACT, I think we can have, we can try to have some type of systematic literature review, just to see how engagement has been defined in previous studies, mm. how it has been operationally manipulated in studies, and what learning setting, for whom, what level, and you know, what are the outcomes. I think that study will be really beneficial. So oh, that yeah. we can have, yeah, we can have like a full um, kind of picture of what has been done for the past 20 years. I'm just making an example here for 20 years, um, how learning um, engagement has been studied. I think that will make a really good study for us um, in, in LED. And they will also help us to see what is going to be uh, the topic that we further um, explore in the future. Because yeah. without knowing the past, we cannot see the future. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Good point. So as we wrap up, my final question is, what is the one thing you want people to remember from this conversation about learner engagement? Uh, the one thing is that motivation can be designed and can be supported. We got the list of the uh, learners um, or the learning environments. Yeah, there's a system and a strategy, mm -hmm. which is great. Thanks for introducing that to us. So, Ang Park, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope it was useful for everyone. And I would thank you again for your time and having me here today. Oh, thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Learner Engagement Activated is produced by the Learner Engagement Division of the Association for Educational Communications and Technology. This episode was hosted by Ian Fency with sound editing and production by Ian Fency. The music is from Purple Planet. Visit the Learner Engagement Division online at www.learnerengagement.org and find out more about the Association for Educational Communications and Technology at aect.org. <laughs>